Hello, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Putting It Together, Wednesday the 13th of November. How are you? I am well. Uh, I have been in rehearsal for an Edinburgh Christmas Carol. Uh, Now we're into the fourth week of rehearsal, which means we're nearly moving across the road from the rehearsal room into the theatre, which is exciting. Um... My, one of my favourite parts, I suppose, when we start to see it all technically come together. Uh, I'm in the theatre just now, as it happens. Um, I'm in a little um, recording studio that I'm kindly allowed to use um, to make the podcast. So I'm getting a wee sneak peek tonight. I've ducked my head into the auditorium to have a wee look on stage because I just can't help myself. Um, so things are shaping up nicely. Um, I've been doing some dancing and I've been lifting the lovely Nicola Roy and I've done it incorrectly and hurt my wrist so I'm s- I've got my wee my wee wrist support on and I, on we were recording the uh, Christmas pantomime for the podcast um, on Sunday you may have seen it on our social media and uh, I was being of course made fun of by Danny and Fiona for having a little wrist support on but it is sore um, and it's helping so yeah the panto is coming out on christmas day um it's going to be pinocchio or a version thereof and uh, it's it's a a radio panto if you like um starring danny heron fiona wood don Severite, tom yuri and yours truly and it was co-written if you like by the whole company and also uh andrew fraser so uh, we came up with a kind of Andrew Fraser and myself came up with this sort of concept with a little help from Gary McNair as well on the sidelines and then everyone came to to the studio in the afternoon of Sunday and we all just had a great old time (laughs) and we made it up including songs on the day Um, I'm quite proud of the songs I need to to, uh, make some music to go with the vocals at this point Um, but yeah I'm dead excited about it we had a really nice day recording it and it's going to make a cool Christmas special so do stay tuned on which I believe is a Wednesday Wednesday the 25th of December because the Christmas special is on the way and it's going to be a panto so that's fun um I hope that you're getting into the, the festive spirit an appropriate amount um if you're rehearsing for a Christmas show then of course you're getting there and if not um perhaps you're not doing one or you're a, a loyal listener who doesn't actually appear on the stage uh, you might think wow it's really early to be talking about Christmas but um for us lot in the these rehearsal rooms, I feel like I've been thinking Christmassy for about three, four weeks. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Oh, it's just such a sort of tired conversation. Oh, it's too early for Christmas carols. So meanwhile in Glasgow, at a play at a pie and a pint at Oran Moor, this week you can see Do Not Press This Button by Alan Bissett. It's directed by Kirsten McLean, who just so happens to be my guest on today's show. It stars Gemma McElhenney, David Rankin and Cameron Fulton. Top class cast, writer and director really, so get on down there and see that. Do not press this button. That runs every day this week until Saturday at 1pm. And as you know, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? You get a pint and a pie included in the price of your ticket and you can substitute pint for a drink of your choice. So yes, I thoroughly advise you to get on down there and see it. And it's perfect timing because Kirsten McLean is my guest on today's show and I'm delighted to, to announce that to you. We had a great chat. We've been friends for a long time and um, it makes the interview process a wee bit different to when you know someone a bit less. So there's a, there's a cool energy that just is, is, is there and is different from... Uh, with other guests, uh, you know, they're all different, but it was it's really cool to talk to an old friend, because you kind of, you bypass some of the, the preamble stuff and you get right on into it. So, and we also studied on the same course, um, and I did really my first 
professional theatre job with Kirsten, um, where we both played accordions, would you believe? So yeah, I think we get into talking about that and various other things. Um, and obviously Kirsten's transition, I suppose, from, from mainly acting to more directing and writing, which is kind of in process at the moment, and it's interesting to hear her talk about that, about um, finding a, a new voice for herself and finding a new place in this industry that, that seems to suit her better. So... Um, I'm delighted to bring you this interview, and um, I suppose it's about time you heard it, isn't it? Yes, go on, have a wee listen to it, and and I tell you what, I'll leave till the end annoying you about social media and that yellow donate button. You know where it is, you'll hear it, keep listening to the end, don't be skipping ahead. <laughs> Do whatever you want, enjoy in whatever format you like. Uh, here we go, it's me and Kirsten McLean, and we are putting it together. So one of the other first things I did was I applied for the Arches Award for Stage Directors. Oh. I think in 2002 or three, and I got that and directed a piece that in the end I wasn't very happy with. Right. And I found it quite difficult. What was it? <laughs> it was called, I'm embarrassed even talking about it. It was called A Secret Room. It, it was at the Arches, obviously. And it was uh, a piece about conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And it was set in a cabaret bar. And there was two actors and an accordionist. And I think actually what, what was happening for me was that I, I think I've always had a love of narrative. And the accordion. And the accordion, of course, <laughs> yeah. This guy was amazing. Um, so you you were trying to maybe impose narrative or? I think I was trying to make a story, but I didn't want it to be a dead obvious story. That's the thing right. we end up with, is this thing where we convolute, deliberately convolute, to try and not make things obvious. Yeah. Be and weird it, for the sake of weird. Exactly. That's dangerous, I think. And not answering any questions about narrative. It, just going, it, suggesting a story, but not actually truly addressing it. Not so the audience actually have the going, story. Aye, that was kind of interesting, but I, I don't know. It also you know, means that after 20 minutes or so, people are done because... Well, that's it, yeah. You don't give them anything to stay with. Exactly. And then the argument is that maybe you're trying not to. The, the, you're not intending to give them anything to stay with, you know. Exactly. Well, well, that, well, that's the thing. We want them to be fucked off. I remember when I did my degree piece at, at, um, at RCS and the tutor at the time said, Kirsten, you realise you've created a bit of a narrative here. If mm-hmm. you give the audience even a sniff of narrative, they'll be after it and they'll want more. And, it, you know, that way I'm thinking, well, I want to get an A for this piece, so... Yeah, maybe I don't want to give them narrative for that reason. But oh. also within me, I was going, oh, I quite like that. Well, I've, the, I've the audience wants more. Sounds the good. audience wants more. I've written a story. Hey, what's not to like? Right. So I think that was still with me by the time I directed this piece called A Secret Room at mm-hmm. the Arches. And as a result, it wasn't that brilliant. And I felt a bit bad about myself after it. Mm-hmm. And I think I thought to myself for a while, I don't think I'm a director. I don't. If I was going to be a director, what would I direct? If I was going to write or devise something with people... What would I do now? And I, sometimes I look back on that and go, that's a shame that instead of just going, well, that wasn't brilliant. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do now? I kind of retreated into my shell a wee bit. I thought, well, so what I need to be now is an actor. I'm just going to be an actor. Right. And there was a while where I was turning down work that was directing work or teaching work because I was saying, no, I'm just going to be an actor. Right. And I think, well, I don't regret that. 
but it would have been interesting to, to allow myself to do that a wee bit more at the time. Mm. That's so interesting that you, it was almost like a self-flagellation, like, ah, oh, no. Oh, totally. I'd, I went too far in one direction or or almost didn't go in enough in either direction. Uh, yeah, so you which end is up, worse, yeah. Yeah, compromise is, is the mm-hmm. worst. Oh, That's God. one thing I learned from that course for sure. You know, compromise is where no one gets what they want. Yeah, totally. You know? Everybody just feels a little bit... Everyone's got half of what they, what they looked for. <laughs> At max <laughs> yeah and you're as well just making a thing going right out there and going right here's my thing i'm making it either is or it isn't yeah it is or it isn't you like it or you don't mm-hmm. who cares and it's a thing that i made and you're entitled to make work that isn't fabulous that people don't love and then go right well i'm making the next thing now mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. next yeah but then I, I suppose i am all about that in principle and then when i see things i don't like i get really angry <laughs> i know <laughs> shouldn't be made and then you go well wait it's kind of like you know being pro-democracy and then complaining when you know more people vote for for the other thing yeah so what how do you feel when you see things you don't like can you deal with it or do you take it personally it varies um yeah if i see a thing that i don't like and it looks like people have been lazy or Mm. sloppy with their message or yeah or their performance. They've just gone, ah, fuck it, I'll be fine. Yeah, oh, it's a laugh and all that. That, that, that kind of pisses me off a bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting better at going to see things that I don't like and going, oh, well, that just wasn't to my taste. That's mm-hmm. just wasn't my cup of tea. And I love having discussions with people where they really love something and I really hate it or vice versa. And, we, and it's, well, that's just what theatre and art is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I suppose. We'll always have that. Yeah. We have to. Because mm-hmm. if we didn't, what have we got? Yeah, just insipid nonsense and we're all bored. <laughs> well, you could say that that is exactly where we are. Well, you could actually, couldn't you? You yeah. know, with, with certain like TV and mm-hmm. and the stuff that's hugely popular. Yeah, just stuff that, like reality TV. Yeah. Which, you know, as I've said, I'm a massive fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. But that's one... That's Isn't one that at the classier end of the reality scale? I think scale. it is, and it's got heart. And it, it really watching that really reminds me of being at drama school, actually. Right. Just people bearing their souls in wacky costumes. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> what it was <laughs> for four years. Only when we got there, there were no costumes. That's, oh, that's right, yeah, as we've discussed. <laughs> Just get yeah. your jeans off and tell me your secrets. <laughs> Struggle. <laughs> I feel bad. I mean, I don't. I don't want to just pull it apart because there's so much good came out of it. Um, I know. I think back on it so fondly, actually. Yeah. And, and I don't think there's many degree courses that you would do where you would bond in such a way yeah. with the people that were in your class. And, and that, be- in and of itself, is valuable mm-hmm. because I think I went there at eighteen and I really didn't have a clue about anything. Of course, because I was eighteen. Of course, yeah. And. It's just as valuable to have those four years where you sort of start to learn how to interact with other people in a in a real mm-hmm. way, and and also like figure out what do you think and what do you believe. That's right, which can change week to week, really and for does. that being a sort of a, a free place for you to do that, to have those discussions, to unpick yeah. big political issues, and take the controversial position sometimes as well, and explore what it's like to inhabit that. Well, the only opinion yeah, I mean, and then come back from it or I, I was too scared to do that but right. the controversial position I took was yes I still like musical theatre oh that's the most controversial of them all <laughs> oh, and I continue to write musicals wow 
and go in, in my spare time and, and, you know, try and get them put on and stuff. <laughs> and it was just, it's amazing to me that none of it was ever fostered, though, has it? I think it's a real shame. What, you mean that... Uh, You're in that, an institution, that, that, a royal institution that, you know, of creativity. And I was doing all this stuff. I'm not bigging myself up. I'm mm-hmm. saying, in my spare time, I was kind of running around doing other stuff. And it was, it really was like ignored quite I, so, actively yeah ignored, yeah yeah, you know, yeah so I no think. no tutor said oh there's brian that, that this is brian's particular thing yeah let's nurture that let's yeah, foster yeah, yeah. it and do yeah. it, you know maybe it doesn't fit exactly with the ethos of the course that he's taken or something but there must be a way to kind of try and marry the mm-hmm. two or something and you'd say as well because that course was all about subverting things you're subverting the course right actually the biggest so, subversion so, of them all mm-hmm. and surely there's something to be mined from that yeah because otherwise what happens is you're so you're so open-minded that you're closed-minded. Oh, that's exactly... We're so, we must be very exactly open-minded. It. Come in here yeah. and we'll all be open-minded together. Don't go out there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shh, quiet. There's nothing going on out there. Come here and be open-minded. You're missing it. Yeah, that's right. That's madness. A very but specific everything goes in a loop. Type. Yeah, very specific open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. Not that type, but this type. Yeah. But look what's happened with the political spectrum, which is a mm-hmm. circle, you could argue. You go, we've become... The left has become so um, careful and maybe it, you could say apologetic Yeah. that we end up back in a type of fascism. Exactly. Yeah, there's that argument about freedom of speech, isn't there? Mm-hmm. About don't say offensive things on Twitter. Just you're right. going to be, you say an offensive thing, you're going to be blocked and removed and we shut you up and we silence you. Yeah. That's one. That's cancel one culture, argument. as they call it. Cancel culture, right, okay. If you've got any kind of fame or recognition for your work you're well known in any way mm-hmm. you can say one thing and if you say the, the, that one thing wrong you can just everything's gone you're cancelled you see how people just disappear yeah right yeah whereas instead what we could do is say right let this person mm-hmm. say their controversial opinion and the rest of the rest of us get a chance to formulate a response to that because mm-hmm. it feels like maybe cancel culture i'm now learning that's what it's called it's like just shutting up the argument and it means that we don't have a dialogue we, we don't have a dialogue yeah and those of us who have got a different opinion don't get the chance to articulate what that different opinion is and yeah. then maybe we all just become a bit stupider and a bit more scared to speak yeah and not I, that i'm I, saying i've got an, an offensive opinion that i'm desperate to get out there on twitter <laughs> <laughs> you're just holding back by the skin of her teeth every day she's just all, i know what she feels but she's told me but she'll never say it out loud because you get cancelled <laughs> you also get that thing where where people s- jump on the bandwagon to complain mm-hmm. about stuff like something happens in a show uh-huh like on tv say ten thousand people saw it the next day two of those 10,000 people complained about it. And the following day, four million people are complaining about it. That's right, because those two started off. And you go, Do, how many of you saw this? You know, exactly. all the protesters outside Jerry Springer, the opera. Have you seen the show? No, no God, I absolutely not. No. I wouldn't dare see that tribe. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's going on. That's it. Which is why I keep showing up at theatre and cinema, regardless of whether I think I'm going to like it or not. Okay. Because I figure, even if I hate it, I was there and I know what I hated. Well, exactly. You've got to know what you're critiquing. You can't just go, I don't like the idea of that. You've got to go and dangerous. see if it moves you. We just go, we'll just go down and down, the, mm-hmm. you know, until there's nothing left. We're just going to see one thing that our friends That's in. It, yeah, I know this. I know this one type of thing that I like. And just go and see and Agatha Christie over and exactly. over again because it's the same, isn't it? Yeah, the mousetrap, that's all I'm watching. Yeah. 
I mean, to be fair, you love the mousetrap. I can I think know. of worse fates. I know there is such charm in it. Why do I love it so much? You must what? be able to figure this out. For I me. went. I went to see it with you. Do you remember the first ever tour? Was it the first ever tour? I'd never seen it. Didn't know. There was a thing the in the contract. Was. There was a thing in the whatever it is that when they first put it on, this production will not tour outside of London until oh. it closes, or until the London production runs for sixty years. And I always thought, have they just put that? And thinking, well, obviously it'll never run for... That's like putting a billion years. Of course, yeah. But it, it must be. Is and it 60 years? It's about 65 now. Oh, no, is that when it started? That's so it got when to 60 it, right. and went, oh, we can do a tour now. And we went to see it. What? Um, Me and you and Lisa Gregan. Lisa Gregan. And Chloe. And Chloe. Yeah. Yep, we went for our dinner. Kathy Andalus. How do you remember that? I don't know. But I do. Yep, it was a good few years ago. It was. And why do you like it? That's what I've... You like it because it's English. It. Oh, do you think so? Aye, it's all that French windows and a nice rug. <laughs> a nice rug. A proper set. A proper set, a Stairs, box set. yeah. Stairs and doors, different Looks doors. Looks like a real house. Love that. That's why you like it. Yeah. It's mannered. Mannered and overcoats. Overcoat, oh, aye, yeah. I love people coming in and out of the snow and saying, oh, <laughs> it's <laughs> cold acting. cold out there. <laughs> it's a thick piece super out there. All that, love all that. Yeah. Actually, I'm about to do a Christmas carol, and as I'm looking through the script, I'm like, I wonder will I get an opportunity of to come? Of course, a Christmas carol. Have an overcoat, a Dickensian, yeah. set in the 1860s. Oh, God, yes, scarves. Brilliant. Gloves, the lot. So many Snow scarves. blown in behind you, yeah. acting as if the wind's blowing you in the door. And pushing the door over. Oh, yeah. yeah. <gasps> oh, Brian, yes. I can't wait. Actually, Sally said to me the other day, how many, how many scarves are you taking to Edinburgh? Because she uh-huh. knows me as having... Too, we could argue too many scarves. Mm-hmm. Of different shapes and sizes. Yeah, you need different... You can't wear... I mean, you're not going to wear the same scarf every no, day no. for a season. Oh, I think that's God, insane. No, well, you wouldn't. No. Last time I went through mm-hmm. there for a Christmas show, I think it was 12. And 12 I think, scarves? I think it's gone up. I think that's excessive. Well, that's what she thinks, which is why she makes fun of it. I've not actually, to mention what Richard Conlon thinks about who I'm staying with. He just rips the piss out of me. Yeah, I, th- I actually... I was agreeing with you. They're sort of nodding and going, "Why oh, a lot of scarves?" But I think, <laughs> now you've heard the number. No, I'm thinking. Actually, I quite like just to have one scarf. Do you? Maybe two, so that one's in the wash and the other one's ready to go. Right. Just keep things simple, mate. <laughs> oh, this is advice. <laughs> I think so. I. Right. It's a bit late. I've got. I mean, I bought another one yesterday. Well, my, I mean, maybe you'll need it. I would stick to two. Two. Yeah. But they're so different. I mean, you're talking. We've got snoods, we've got like thin, thin Indian pashmina almost. <laughs> right, oh God. So, like, so it becomes a big bunchy knotted aye, scarf. Aye, aye, aye. Little thin tootle ones. I mean... A wee cravat. Almost a cravat. I mean, to me they're so different. That's like saying, just have one top. And you'd be like, well, some of well, these are shirts and some of these are I know, but jackets this is you. interesting because remember you were saying about your throat chakra. Yeah, I've got this thing where I keep clearing my throat. Okay, I, I feel so like there's some blockage. You're, you're, you've got twelve different ways present, you know, presented in these scarves to protect and wrap around your throat chakra. I think there's more work and investigation, <sighs> spiritual investigation. No, to be done with that, I do. And I would, if I were you, I'd be considering what colour you're picking each day. Do you think I've created a blockage? No, I don't. I mean, probably I, karmically, we do create our own blockages. I've mollycoddled my throat into submission. No, maybe I don't know. Only you know the answer to oh that. Gosh. Actually, here we go. <laughs> so what? What about the colour? Well, 
well, all the colours have got a different um, vibrational resonance, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Like but blue, do you know what they are? Blue is what you're looking for for the throat chakra. I've got quite a lot of blue. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Only the blue ones are coming through. But it's a, a grey overcoat. It's tricky. I, I won't get into the whole <laughs> dynamics of it, obviously. <laughs> right, so colour, we need to think about the colours, yeah. I think so. Chakra, I mean, are we are we increasingly talking on a more spiritual level in our industry or is it or am i have i mm. increasingly developed a spiritual life and i've and then i see it everywhere well do you know what i mean yeah i do know exactly what you mean and we're I definitely think, more emotionally intelligent in our business than we used to be i think so yeah I, th- I think there's there's lots of different things at play there i think if you're starting to become more spiritual within yourself and you're doing a, a daily spiritual practice then you see that more in your life definitely yeah, probably that. And you draw that out from the environment. Mm-hmm. What? I mean, that's that's a total Buddhist thing, right? Of that that um, what's it called? Interdependence. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's related. Everything's connected. So, and I think as well. I mean, there's there's been big moves in light of all the horrible things that have been revealed that have happened in our industry you know Mm -hmm. sexual exploitation all the rest of it for us to be more aware of that in rehearsal rooms and just you know well that's not necessarily spiritual it's about respecting other folk yeah and i think if you claim to be living a spiritual life the very least anyone could expect from you is that you were you know, very respectful of other people and their and their space and their growth. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not airy fairy. No. It's actually just living from a good place, isn't it? Yeah. It's a one person's yeah. way of living from a good place. Someone else will be, you know, staunchly atheist and, and very moralistic, and and it will amount to the same thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly that. And I think there's a danger with sort of, as you're saying, airy fairy spirituality. I think it. In a spiritual practice, it's important that it makes sense to you and that it's practical mm-hmm. and that it does no harm to others, actually. Or yeah, minimal really harm. Important, yeah. yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is the name of the type of Buddhism that you're involved with? I practice nature and Buddhism as part of SGI UK, Sokagakai. It's a Japanese? It's Japanese, yeah. Buddhism, right? mm-hmm. And we chant Namyoho Rengekyo. Same yeah. as Tina Turner. Does she really? She does, yeah. What's love got to do with it? That film. It's all about her finding the Is that the what practice. it translates as? <laughs> yeah. What's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Tina Turner. <laughs> what does it translate it, as again? Oh, God, right. It translates as tons of things. But basically, it is I devote myself to the mystic law of cause and effect. Right. The wonderful law of cause and effect. There's lots of different meanings. But basically, when I'm chanting, I'm chanting to manifest my Buddha nature mm-hmm. and, and and to sort of express that in every interaction that I have. Mm. And those Buddha characteristics are wisdom, compassion, courage and life force. And in doing that, you recognise that every single thing you do is a cause for an effect that will manifest later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... So That's it's about living, it. be, being your best self. Being your best self, sister. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You and Tina. Me and Tina and, oh, what's his name? Patrick Duffy. 
Do you know what? A Dallas. Remember Bobby in Dallas? Oh, right. He went out the show. He went in, the sh- went in for a oh, shower. Oh, this guy? Aye. And a series later he came out and... Oh, jeez, oh. No, he never went in for a shower. That's a lot of shite. No, there was a shower involved. There in was it. a shower. It's just that he, he died. It was a dream. He died. Then a year later he came out of the shower and said it's a dream. And all these actors, which is a bit of a shame actually, all these actors who'd had storylines for a year... Like, their so we're all were, a dream. They, they, their whole storylines were a dream. I think some of them are quite upset. That is something because the it? producers wanted Patrick Duffy back. But maybe that's because he was chanting for good fortune. Maybe. And, and maybe so. Who knows? So he was Bobby. Jr. was um, Larry Hagman. Have you seen the video of Larry Hagman at the the Royal Command performance? Forgetting the lyrics to the song. I think I have actually. Ah, yes, one of my favourite videos of all time. He's singing a song which I've never heard before or since, and it's about <laughs> a recipe for a recipe for good loving or something. Right. It's a waltz. My recipe for the yes. dun, 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 dun. three pounds of taking for one <laughs> pound of giving. And he, that's right. And, and it's all numbers and different things you have to put in the recipe. He's like <laughs> three hands of plumbing mm-hmm. and put in the pot. <laughs> But good for him. Keeps going. It's but that's great. that thing, isn't it? Just having the self-belief. Yeah, oh, I've forgotten the words, but I'm going to just keep what going. What else can you do? Brilliant. At one point he went, hell, you know my name. Like as if, And that is exactly it. That is the whatever. core of the whole thing. What are you going to do? Oh, it was so funny though. I, you yeah. know I like to cringe. I know you do, yeah. So that is just the, the <laughs> ultimate joy <laughs> for me. Yeah, I remember watching that actually. So yes. laterally, we should talk about work a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't hurt, would it? It wouldn't hurt. Um, your, I mean, your work has been very varied. Yes. Your work as an actor, let's say. Yeah. Because because mm-hmm. that forms a large portion of of the last few years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Both TV and and stage. Mm-hmm. What would you? I mean, if you had to pick a few highlights, even because I'm only aware of a handful of it, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, highlights from acting. I loved the very first job I had after college, which was a one-woman show. And it was called Spoonface Steinberg, written by Lee Hall, the guy who wrote Billy Elliot. Yes, yeah. That's how people know what it is. Was Billy Elliot out by then? Yeah, I think it, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was. Sorry, that yeah. is highly offensive. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Where was that on it? It did a wee tour. It... Uh, where did it go to? I can't actually remember. It went. I know it went to the Cayley Place. Right. And it was the first time I went to the Cayley Place. Is that Ullapool? It is Ullapool, yeah. yeah. It's a magical place. Um, and it was a, a one-woman show, which I think it was a really good thing for me to do. A one-person show is a brilliant thing to do, actually. Mm. Yeah. Because it's a massive responsibility. Mm-hmm, yeah. And you can really feel what the relationship is with the audience from start to finish of the piece. And and for me, as, at such an early stage, it was about really getting to know the audience. Yeah. Getting to know what it is to have a relationship with the audience. That's a massive point in terms of craft. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you have that, then you're on very good footing. You know, if yeah, you're able yeah. to relate to the audience, if you can read where the audience is at. Mm-hmm. Make those tiny little adjustments. It's oh, almost yeah. like it's almost like the the, the wing flaps. You it's know, exact, on a jumbo yeah, yeah, jet, yeah, you just go you're flying. just touch a wee bit, and you know you feel the different air pressure, and you go, wait a minute, something needs to change. Ever so slightly, yeah. And also the the other side of that is 
not not doing that too much. That's it. Being aware of when you truly need to do it mm-hmm. and watching the cop in the head yep. that's flipping out for no reason. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good for your discipline. Because otherwise, it's if you do that for ego reasons, then you're in a different and very difficult spot. You say, oh, I don't know if they like this, but I'll just do what I think they like. Oh, God, no. That's not good. No, because then you're out of the play, aren't you? Then you're not in... Yeah. You're not in the zone. Spoon-feeding, you know, just whatever you think people want to eat. Exactly. And not, I suppose, kind of disrespecting your director as well. Yeah, all the decisions and all the work you've done. Yeah. And not trusting what that process is that you've come through with a director. Mm. And that's very early on to be doing a one-person play. Yeah. How did that come about? It came about because Mark Westbrook directed it and he was doing the M-Dra, as it was called at the time. Oh, yeah. You remember the M-Dra, uh, which I think is still there, the sort of post-grad. So it's a Masters of... Masters, yeah. Of it's now drum. classical and contemporary texts. Exactly. But I guess that's from the same route, is it? Yes, I think so. So he was directing and he wanted to do this play and he saw me in the corridors of the RSAMD, as it was at the time. Oh, right. And it... it this character's an eight-year-old child. Oh, right. And I, okay. I, I, you know, <laughs> oh, it's all become clear. It's very clear now. I think basically what happened is he was like, she's quite wee-looking. Mm-hmm. Maybe she could do it. And then we had a wee chat about it, and 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 then we did it. Nice. And it was just right. You played young quite a lot. Yes, I did that quite a lot. Does it still start. happen? <laughs> do you still Shut get up. No, but I mean, I still get it. I mean, I'm looking through... The script for Christmas show and I'm uh-huh. like oh it's really dawning on me how many very young parts I'm going to play yeah lots of little bits you know and I'm like mm-hmm. oh wow really still okay still but yeah yeah I, I, it's not happened to me for a while actually that I've had to play really young um, Johnny McKnight used to always joke that I would be like uh, Jeanette Cranky <laughs> <laughs> 65 and still playing the 8 year old boy Oh, boys and lasses <laughs> yeah but no it hasn't actually happened but it did happen for a long time yeah. and there came a point where I had played loads of kids and I don't know if I was ever particularly great at it that's the thing as well I, just I, wee. Looked, I looked wee I am wee no but there's a there's a sort of a cheekiness to your you know, there's, you have a persona uh. a sort of cheekiness that I think could definitely add something to yeah, that. Yeah, impishness maybe. Yes, something there's like an imp- yeah, definitely yeah. an impishness, yeah. Yeah. So at one point I just thought to myself, well, I'm going to write myself another show. All right. I'm going to write, and I wrote another one-woman show. I say another one, I, I wrote the first time I'd ever written a one-woman show, mm-hmm. um, where I played a character who was exactly my age. I think I was 27 at the time. Right. And I was like, she is 27 years old, this character. And that is that. And where did that go? It went on at the Arches one year. Mm-hmm. And then the next year it went on at Glasgow. Oh, cool. It had to be gay theme to it. So Nice. Yeah. And this is before Play Pie and a Pint then, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that would be the first stop for for most people if they wrote something. Oh, uh-huh, that's right. You know, it, they wanted to get put on in short order. It probably would go there, it, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you know, in that at that time, it wasn't. It was the Arches. It would be. I remember it, that, actually. Yeah, the Arches. Do you know what? And it's only when it closed down that I truly realised yeah. what a brilliant, brilliant place that was oh, yeah. for people that were just starting their careers. Because you could do anything there. Mm-hmm. And they'd either say you can have the space for nothing. There's £100. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And there was, 
There was no pressure for your thing to be polished or brilliant. Yeah. It could be as experimental as it liked. And as a result of that, things were quite often yeah. mind-blowingly brilliant. But it didn't have to be... But it didn't have to be. ...odd but, or... or esoteric oh, no, no, necessarily no, that, that's and that's what's interesting that's I true think. because Andy Arnold was the artistic director for some of that time as well yeah. and he was he, he was doing plays there were plays on there and there was all sorts but also he would direct crazy things that people had written as Did well he? He, would, he would direct them and so you would see a real spectrum of stuff and there was just this feeling that anybody could anybody that wanted to yeah. and had a, a good idea which is why actually I feel quite sad thinking about how I reacted to to my show that I did that I wasn't quite happy with. Right. Because it was such... Yeah. There was nobody that was sitting there going, she must never work again, her play's terrible. I was the only person saying that. Yeah. And it was on at the arches and... Especially the arches, I yeah. know. So, got, with retrospect, you look back and I go, look back and I go, I wish I, hadn't, I wish I hadn't been so hard on myself. Yeah. But then I think, with hindsight, I mostly look back and think, I wish I wasn't so hard on myself. Oh, God, In yeah. most situations... Yep. Very few that I would say, no, I was right to be <laughs> I was right yeah. to be punishing myself for that. Totally. It's really so rare. Yeah, me too. That I feel like that's the biggest lesson I've learned in the last year mm-hmm. is just self acceptance. Yeah. And to go, what you're doing's enough. As you know, I've been to therapy a few times in my life. Mm-hmm. And there was one counsellor that said to me, she said, okay, so let, let, let's look back at this action that you've done that you're not happy with. Mm. Was your motivation to hurt anybody? Was your motivation to be horrible, to pull anybody down? Mm. What was it you were really looking for? And the answer always comes back to oh, love or appreciation or something like Some that. Some sort of comfort in yourself. Yeah, you look yeah. for a bit of comfort. Yeah. So then you just go, right, well, I went the wrong way about it on that occasion. Yeah. I dropped the ball. Move on. Big Take whoop. the learning and move on. Yeah. Say again. Big whoop. Big whoop. Big whoop. Big yeah, fucking whoop. Do you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the other thing that I come back to again and again is what was I worried about? Like why did I worry oh, so much? Oh my god, yeah. Not to get into self punishment for having worried because that's another. Well, that's a cycle. Isn't it? Then you just yeah. Then but I do yourself. look back and say, oh, needn't have bothered. So that can happen to me in the space of days. One day I can be absolutely terrified about something. Yeah. And I've sent you texts about these worries many We've a time. We've had countless exchanges. That's, of course. That's our whole friendship is based on this. Basically that. One of us is fucked and the other one's helping. Exactly. But the, and the other one's... That's friendship. The other one's probably standing there going, I don't know what he's so worried about. Or I don't know what she's so worried about. But the important job, I think, in those situations is that you have to see, mm-hmm. try and see that this other person is very much invested in, in this as a real thing, as a real problem, let's say. Absolutely. So you can't go... Shop. No. Because that doesn't help. No, it's about giving space. Yes, yeah, so you have to go, okay, I see. I see that. Yep. Have you considered mm-hmm. that maybe she doesn't give a fuck Do what you're thinking? Or <laughs> something like well, that. Exactly yeah. that, yeah. yeah. And ju- yeah, just let the person talk them talk themselves round and about it until they come out the other end. Yeah, and how often does the other person who's having the problem go, actually, yeah, I mean, when now I think about it. And the, and you know, and the friend hasn't really said much. Do you know what I mean? That's right. Yeah, you we've had a few like that. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of sit silently as the friend on the phone, and the other person goes, mm-hmm. I, I, "Well, yeah, no, I mean, I suppose, yeah. Thanks yeah, for listening to me. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Thanks for like, all your support. Oh, I was actually, just sitting here. I was doing the dishes. <laughs> I'm watching the telly. You're on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, where did that come from? I can't even remember. That the was arches. About the arches, self punishment. Yeah. Um, not allowing ourselves. Well, for me, not allowing myself to fail. 
But yeah, I don't even like that word, fail. Because no, it's not I failing, it's just... I think it's very final, that. Aye. And I don't like as well when people say, you've been unsuccessful this time in, in getting the job. Yeah. Because it's... That's not necessarily not a success. It's just that wasn't the job that was for you at that time. Well, you know what? There's a world where maybe we package things up less uh, in mm-hmm. fancy language. Not that the word unsuccessful is particularly fancy, but maybe yeah. you say, we haven't selected you for the job. We've selected someone else yeah, but- who we thought was a stronger candidate. <laughs> Boom. Ah! No, that's what maybe you're advocating. <laughs> we thought somebody else was better than you. That's uh, it though, isn't it? Well, I mean, it is ultimately. Well, if I'm not right for the job, I don't want it. Well, that's it. Yeah, I'd say that's exactly an actor. That. Well, it's not nice being in a job that no. nobody thinks you're right for. I've had, I've had one or two like Have that. Have you really? Yeah. And I don't want to talk about it. Ah, that's fine. <laughs> I've been, I'm sure on a number of occasions, I've been second or third choice. Oh, and ended up And ended up getting it because someone else dropped out, someone, whatever happened. Totally. And then you go and you go, well, I've got an opportunity here to mm-hmm. go in and go, I'm just as right for this as anybody else. I can totally do this. Exactly. And I've got, maybe it's a spiritual thing as well, but I do think you get the jobs that you're meant to get. Oh, I totally think And that, everybody yeah. does the job that they're meant to be doing. And sometimes that's so that they can shine in that role. Mm. And sometimes it's so that you can struggle and learn from oh, it. it has to be. Yeah. Otherwise, what's it all about? Like, I, I need totally. to believe that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm in a lot of pain for doing <laughs> jobs that I hated. Yeah. Maybe sometimes it's so that someone else can shine too. Well, that's it, yeah. Because I, I said, I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I was doing a Shakespeare that I wasn't having a great time with, and mm-hmm. I was staying with Richard Conlon, who can be very sage in his yeah, advice, yeah. Um, straight to the point, and it mm-hmm. cuts to the quick if you're not ready for it. Um, uh-huh. Not in a personal way, but with truth. Uh, um, and he said to me, wait a minute, he said, you're getting all tangled up because I was saying, I, I, I'm barely in that bit and then I come in and I don't like that bit. It was just, you know, I was venting and aye. he said, aye, but what you're forgetting is what this part you're playing, it's a part that services the play and that's your job. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the run, it, d- it doesn't mean I wasn't in pain because <laughs> I really struggled, yeah. but I kept remembering that phrase and I'll get to the side of the stage and I think this bloody thing again, I would go, right, Service to play. Service to play and it's ultimately an the service. audience. Yeah, right, an active service. They've come service. to see yep. this play. They've not come to see me. Oh, so your mum probably had. Yeah, and she didn't like it either. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to get in there and service the play. Yeah. Be the cog in that particular bit of the machine. It's I, hard sometimes, but it's worthwhile. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the ongoing battle with the ego, isn't it? The, yeah, it's all as well. Yeah. yeah. I did a play once where it was really a funny play, but my character didn't do anything funny oh <laughs> really. that hurts but I, I was kind of okay with it. i kind of like the character but i remember the director saying it, it's like a football match mm. but i fucking didn't understand that very well but I, I could understand <laughs> this much and he was talking about some people set up the goals mm. and some people are the ones who kick the ball into the net yeah and to be the person who sets up the goal well that's a pr- that, that's just as important absolutely yeah unsung heroes and all that. Unsung heroes, yeah. You know, it's not as it's not as visible that work. No, but it's kicking, it's a craft. Because if vital. you don't do that right, yeah. the person that's delivering the punchline, well, it's not going to land, is it? Yeah, I mean, you can have a panto that's just a dame, but it's not going to be a panto. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you need the foil for that. There's lots definitely. of lots of other elements that need to be there. Mm-hmm. So it seems like in the beginning, your work was kind of 
somewhat self-generated or you know you're experimenting with things yeah making your own things and then at some point you've transitioned into doing a more traditional actor route yeah and then now you've made this other transition so i kind of want to pin down a wee bit where did that first change happen Uh aha i think I remember a job interview I went for, for the National Theatre of Scotland Young Company. Oh, right. And that was when I was 26. And I auditioned as an actor for that company. And I had just done that Arches stuff and I was kind of writing the one woman show. Right. All, all around about that time. And it was Simon Sharkey who interviewed me. Yeah. And he said, he was looking at my CV and he went, why have you not applied as a director? Why have you applied as an actor? Mm-hmm. And I, I felt an instinct in me that was like, why didn't I apply as a director? I would quite like to be a director, but I think I might be too shit. That thing happened at the Arches and it was all shite, shite, shite. And that's what I thought inside myself. Then I pushed that down as we do. And what I said to him was, I don't want to be a director. I want to be an actor. I looked him right in the eyes and thought, oh, that's a really... That'll convince him. That'll... And, and it did, and I got the job. Wow. But I don't think it was entirely true. Mm. And I think even from then there's been a part of me that has wanted to direct and write. Mm-hmm. And it, and I think fear is what has stopped me from doing it until now, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive element of so much decision-making yeah. and choices we make and stuff. Yeah, and I think I always thought about, a director's a boss and I'm a leader and I'm not a boss and I'm not a leader. Mm-hmm. But actually, I'd, now I don't think that's true. I th- I, I, quite, yeah. I quite enjoy leading a rehearsal room. I think there's an element of leadership and I don't doubt that you're perfectly capable of that for a start. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the director's role is more nuanced and you probably realise that. Now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's you about... Know, it's not about just being a boss. Oh my it's God, It's a facilitatory no. yes. role as much as anything, isn't it? And, and the skill about being a director, I think, is being able to see where people are at, mm. the, the, the actors that you're working with, and be able to choose your words wisely lead the room man that's Le- tough and leading the room sometimes is just about staying quiet yeah and letting people find things for themselves and also when you let people find things for themselves the chances are they're going to find something better they're going to find at thinking. least what you thought of and if not it's probably going to be equally good or, or better oh, totally yeah. yeah and sometimes the thing you thought of is actually wasn't it right at all it, it wasn't it right and yeah, you, you yeah. were just it was just an idea that you had so yeah it's about I think sometimes just leading by supporting. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a, that's a thing that I've learned through Buddhism as well. Yeah. I became a, a Buddhist leader maybe about a year and a half into my practice. Right. Where it was my responsibility to look after all the young women who were practicing. I remember that. Yeah. Remember that? That's kind of Buddhism in Glasgow. So you weren't a Dalai Lama as such, but... <laughs> well, yeah. You know, within the <laughs> south side, you were kind of pretty close. Well, yeah, he was... He, he, was on the phone to me all the time actually uh-huh. asking so it's for a dialogue. advice it's yeah, ongoing it's dialogue street, yeah. fair enough yeah. and so, I'm, I'm aware that Dalai Lama is not in the no, he is tradition not. of Buddhism he's not part of my tradition of Buddhism oh, so actually no that's a pretty flawed joke Brian. so yeah that was just <laughs> but you went with it thank you I appreciate that yeah well I'm open minded now oh I think you're Buddhist <laughs> <laughs> so you were you ended up doing learning about leadership yeah, so I, yeah, yeah I think that Buddhism the Buddhism that I practice gives you such a training for different things in your life and before you know it you find yourself using skills that you've used in buddhism yeah with uh, in, in your work in your family whatever 
So leading these young women for me was about listening to them, seeing them and supporting them more. That thing I was talking about, supporting by by choosing your words wisely. Yeah. And helping them to flourish. It sounds cheesy. Well. But. I think it sounds right though. But then, now that was quite a long period since speaking to Simon Sharkey and saying, no, 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 I want to be an actor. That's right. You went into being an actor for a relatively long time. Yeah, and I did have a nice time. And you did pretty much solely, or you did largely yeah. acting work, didn't you? Largely acting work. That's when we started working together. Yeah, yeah. I was totally in the heart of that. I'm just an actor at that my time. My first, I would count that as my first job. That's right. When we did the Jean-Jacques, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Rousseau. Rehearsing upstairs in the sits in the loft. That's right, yeah. Teaching each other the accordion, putting stickers on the... That is extremely sweet of you to say, teaching each other the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> I remember meeting you in the corridors at the academy and I said, I think we we're going to be working together. And you went, oh pal, I have to play the accordion. Will you help That's me? That's right, yeah. And then I came over to your house and we had a laugh. And, and we became pals instantly. And that was it. It was like, bang. It was. It was great. It was class. It, it was it was very bizarre that I should have been the one playing the accordion at the start of that show, that, <laughs> not able to find the notes. And and I was were, I was what was a, I doing? You were pretending to be Jean Jacques Rousseau acting. Sorry, ah, pretending, <laughs> pretending. Much more important than the accordion part, or it's much more. Sorry, it's much more important that I be Jean Jacques Rousseau at that moment than play the accordion. So understandable why they, that, that, you know that, what I mean? Yeah. That, that's yeah, it's interesting use but of resources. It was. It was yeah, interesting. <laughs> painful for the audience members who uh, were right next to me, I think. Probably. I think it was painful for you more than anybody. <laughs> oh, it was. Torturing yourself. With my wee stickers to find my notes. I've got a, a video of you from years. I don't know if I've still got it, but I remember taking a video of oh, you no. sticking the stickers down <laughs> to the co- And actually it was in the um it was in the other rehearsal room, so it was a later show. Oh, when we rehearsed in the flat, the one more flat, yeah. Not yeah. the one, not not Sandy's flat. Not oh, oh the basement. The basement, uh, the fa- the dreaded basement mm-hmm. behind Woodlands Road, and you were, yeah, it was in that room. Mm-hmm. I think Gary was directing that one. Oh yeah, that's me, you, and Drennan, and that was maybe the third Cat. one. Cat, yeah, was I think that? so. No, Sandy Nelson. Okay, that was the third one. Yeah. Now, did you play the accordion in that one? I played chords. I think by that time everyone was like, let's get Kirsten to play the chords. <laughs> so you were like, a chord of C is made up by the three pink stickers. <laughs> exactly that, yeah. <laughs> Aye. So yeah, I guess we met when you were right in the throes of being an, being actor, an actor, in quotes. And mm-hmm. then at some point recently, this, well, I would say recently, yeah, this sort of yeah. shift. What happened to kind of drive you into this <sighs> new period? A combination of things. One being that I didn't get very much work. For, for the last couple of years, right. things went kind of quiet. And it gave me time to think. And I was working at Childline as well. Yeah. So latterly, a thing that I had was that I had this sort of zero hours contract at Childline mm. where I would do that when I wasn't acting and sometimes when I was acting. And I grew to really love that job. Yeah. Looking back now, I think it, it it's a really demanding job. Um, but yes, there was, there was a time where I thought that I would maybe stop acting and become a full-time member of staff at NSPCC Childline. I remember this conversation, yeah. actually. Yeah. You were just going to chuck it all. I was going to chuck it all and just do that. And then, but, but I was still writing at that time. I've been writing this play for the last four years, mm-hmm. on and off. 
And I was, I, I was still writing that. I was still thinking about directing. And then I went to Peru to drink ayahuasca, Aha. which I know has been mentioned on your podcast before. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I have to have one a month. One an ayahuascan a month <laughs> one Peruvian. Well, I'm your I'm your Peruvian ayahuascan this <laughs> you're, month. Your box ticking. That's why you're here. <laughs> there we go. Equal opportunities. <laughs> yeah, exactly for hallucinogenic users. <laughs> so you went there and had some sort of. I went there. Vision. What? No, I. As you know, it was a pretty horrendous experience in yeah. some ways for me. But now that I look back, it's a year ago. At this time last year, I was in Peru. Oh wow! Right. Okay. I. So when you're on the ayahuasca, for me, I was communicating with the plant. Mm-hmm. asking it questions and it's telling me the answers and I was saying to it I, well first of all I got this image of me at Childline mm-hmm. and it, it was me and it was all the other staff there walking about with these this big massive pile of paper on our on our shoulders right. and what that paper signified was the case notes of all the young people that we speak to yeah Normally, counsellors have this thing called clinical supervision, which is once a fortnight, once a month, they go and talk to another counsellor and offload. Right. But the staff at Childline don't get that. So it means, I, I know. So you're just So, so we're just carrying it, it around, yeah. Right. I mean, horrific things. And I and it's actually called, what's it called? Secondary trauma. Mm-hmm. And I realised in that moment, I'm carrying all this. And actually, while it has been a massive privilege Mm-hmm. I I don't say that in any light way at all. It's been one of my deepest privileges to support young people and hear hear them reaching a victory in their lives. But actually, I cannot add any more sheets of paper to that pile of paper that I'm already carrying. Mm-hmm. And it just became dead clear to me my time at Childline is finished. Yeah. And I went back after I came back from Peru. I did a few shifts and I just realised I couldn't do it. I think I was over-empathising. Yeah. Which of course you're going to do. The people that are attracted to that kind of work are empathisers. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But the time was finished. And I also asked the the medicine ayahuasca, should I become a director? Is, is directing and writing actually my path? Mm-hmm. And if I am, what do I need to do? And the plant seemed to say to me, just do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're on that path. And I came back. And the very first job I had after coming back from Peru was directing at Scottish Youth Theatre. And sitting on that other side of the table, I I just knew. I was like, yes, for now anyway, Mm -hmm. this is where I'm meant to be. I feel at home. The time goes by so fast. When I'm in the house, I'm still thinking about it, but not in a panicky way, in an involved, Mm -hmm. creative way. This is where I'm meant to be. And... And and in the last year, more and more of that's opened up for me, mm-hmm. just 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 within myself, a, a confidence about doing that kind of work and going for that kind of work and going for now. It's all right not to be acting. Because it's it's one day at a time, really, isn't it? One day at a time. You say for now, Jesus. you know that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, for now, totally. Yeah. Because I think what we're looking for sometimes, and I think it is based in ego and fear, is we want to know the answers and we want to know forever. Mm-hmm. when will I do it and how long will it last and will that keep me for you know am I doing it now and and do I stop everything and and do this you know like we want black and white answers to everything I think we do and actually because that lovely easier. clarity of do what you're doing for now mm-hmm. a softer clarity it's absolutely beautiful and liberating so you just follow it's follow the joy do the next right thing yeah follow your bliss yeah it's as simple yeah. as that and it also means you can say no to things mm-hmm. which is a thing that I'd always felt weird about as an actor, and it's hard 
Yeah. Like, this isn't it to go, well, <clears throat> but, well what, what is this going to take me out of the loop for? What am I going to miss if I say no to this one? Yep. What's the knock-on effect? What about money? Actually, life is bigger than that. Yeah. You just need to go with your gut. If something tells you this isn't the job for you, it's all right to say, I'm not doing this one. But do you ever look at it and think, I? it always looks bigger to me from the outside. Uh-huh. Like, you look and you go, that's like three months. Hi, <laughs> yes. And it's not just doing that four weeks there, it's going another three weeks mm-hmm. down there as well. And I'd be mad to not do that because think of, wow, before you know it, you know when you're not in it, you look at it and it looks big and you didn't get it or whatever. Yes. Before you know it, people's Instagram stories and stuff have started to tail off and it's over. It's over, the job's finished. And they did it and sure, great. And they're all, they're back and we're all home and, you know, Exactly, it's and it's fine. a year later and everybody's still here and we're now doing the next thing. Right. Yeah, it didn't, it, it it didn't springboard a... those 12 people to absolute, you know, massive recognition, stardom no. and wealth and they the had... rest of us in abject poverty. It's not that simple. Y- your life isn't over. Your yeah. life isn't ruined. And the chances are that in not doing that job... You something got else. something else. Yeah. Or you're yeah. open to some other conversation or opportunity or whatever. Exactly. A- an interesting thing happened to me um, a couple of months ago. I was booked to go to China for a job. Mm-hmm. And it was, I realised at the time I was in China, I was going to correspond with my daughter's fourth birthday. Oh, Frida. Oh, Frida. I know. And I was in total turmoil about it. And I was like, should I do this China job? Should I pull out of it? What All that stuff, if I mm. pull out of it, what are the implications? I'm letting people down. And what happened was, I chanted about it. Nam yo horengi kyo. Let this become clear. What is meant to happen here? And the job got cancelled. Really? Yep. And it means that I'm here for Frida's birthday. And then within a couple of weeks of that, I got offered a job directing at the Oran Moor. Perfect. At the exact same time. Perfect. So I think things have got a way of working themselves out. So you don't really lose in that sense. Well, you win, actually. You win, but, absolutely, you but, win. But what you do lose, you kind of get back in another guise. Absolutely. You know, the work, the, for example. Yeah, the thing that's meant to happen Aye. happens. It's mad how that happens. Mm-hmm. I think, for me, it's something about the proactivity of the saying no or the saying yes to something or whatever that thing is where you mm-hmm. take that action. Even yes. if it is a no, then the email comes in for the next thing. I feel like you've you set off a chain of events. Because you stepped up and you said, I am prepared to... Make do. some clarity, some statement of clarity or something. Yeah, I'm a taking move. a statement. I'm taking an action. I'm, I'm at the helm of my life here. And so the universe goes, all right. Okay, okay on so we go. Here's some stuff for you. But while you sit going, yeah. wonder or a worry, things don't move. Nothing changes if nothing changes, as they say. Oh, I've never heard that, actually. I mean... I should have heard it. I've been hanging about with you for long enough. You've been around Louise Hay books long enough, (laughs) you should know. (laughs) Bookshelf full of self-help. And then, of course, we discovered when we first became pals that we both had very similar backgrounds. We did. In self-help madness. Wayne Dyer. Big Wayne. Sadly, no longer with us. I know, but still with us. Still with us. Yeah. Yeah. I still go back. In fact, I think we both went back quite recently. Mm Mm-hmm. To Wayne. So, there was an interesting conversation we had, eh, where I was saying to you, oh, Wayne says this thing. Can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. But you got in your car right after we had that cup of tea. That's Put right. on your... It probably wasn't a CD player because you live in the modern day. Yeah. And Plugged in my phone. Your and, thing. Yeah. Right. And it was Wayne saying that exact thing that we'd just been talking That's about. That's right. See? Synchronicity. Exactly. That's all related to what we were talking about, about taking the, taking the step and things align and... 
That's right. That if you, you just take the step out there. Yeah. And things align. Exactly. I had a, I had a general meeting with a casting director when I was trying to sort of, when I was really feeling about like I wanted to be an actor, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. This is long after Jean-Jacques Rousseau because I had then dipped in and out of bits and bobs for That's years. Right. And the casting director said to me, well, where, where have you been? Like, where are you? It was like, she was basically saying, you're not visible on, you know, you're not on spotlight. You're not okay. represented. Mm-hmm. You don't have a headshot. Like, wh- who, who are you? Where have you been? Right. She said, if you want to do this, you need this, this and this. And that was my kind of statement. I went away and I did all those things. I remember you doing those things. And within a couple of months, I was doing a, a big job that, that then catapulted me into... Just getting on with it. And you've never stopped since then? Pretty much. That like, was the James Place, wasn't it? Yeah, was the it James Place then? came along so quickly after mm-hmm. I sort of decided, you know, spoke to an agent, got some sort of representation, put a swell spotlight, headshot, you know, did those things. James Place just followed in quick order. That's right. Because um, you're telling the universe, you're going, I'm an actor. That's and I'm it. an actor because I've done all these things. I really am this time. Yeah. You know? I think I remember there being a shift in you at that time. Yeah. It was beautiful. And then since then, you know, it's not been endless uh, tea and cake no but it's it's set in motion a chain of events that i mean ultimately led to this podcast and us sitting here yeah, i mean yeah, everything, everything led up to us of here. course it does yeah the entire universe has conspired mm-hmm. from the very <laughs> beginning moment. of time <laughs> yeah. what a grand idea but it has actually no it's fully no, has, it but fucking has mate <laughs> nights would <laughs> didn't know what was going to hit it this afternoon <laughs> And we had our vegan sausage rolls. And it was delicious. We had one and a half. They were very good. They're good, aren't they? And it's not too much. One and a half is it, you know. Two, I think, would have been. I've never had two in a row like that. Could have been bagged up. Aye. I still ate the donut. You did? A jammy, sugary jam, what's it called? Pink jammy. Pink jammy. A sugary jam. A sugary jam. That's great. It was good, but it's too much. I mean, it is too much for one person, but I still do it. Don't know where you're putting it. Uh, There's, yeah. I've I've gone up sizes in clothing. Mm. I'm hiding a multitude of sins. Well, you're wearing it well. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. That seems like as good a place as any to stop talking. Yes. Yes. <laughs> compliment is a always compliment a good place for you. to finish. Let's end. End on a high. Thanks very much for chatting to me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Big thanks to Kirsten for chatting to me. What a joy it was to spend that time with her. And we actually did an overlong interview, which I was had to cut down. Um, sometimes when it's you know it's an old friend, you just chat and chat away. Um, but yeah, it was great. I could go on forever. We just yeah, you know how it is. We were chatting for hours before we even sat at the mics. Anyway, so I'm wishing her all the best with the rest of the week at the Orr and More. And as I say, if you do get a chance, go and see that show. Do not press this button. It's on every day this week until Saturday. And uh, as you know, you get a, a drink and a pie, so what's not to love? So remember now that if you're not already doing this, it would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to this show on your podcast provider. Just hit the subscribe button, which is usually near the top. It depends on the provider, of course. And if there is such a feature, then please give us a review and give us a rating. Because I don't know if you saw on the social media a couple of weeks ago, we had risen up the ranks to number 20 in the uk performing arts podcast chart um so that kind of thing is helped along by not only by listening but by subscribing and rating and reviewing the show makes a big difference and speaking of social media you can follow on pit cc pod if you go to instagram or twitter it's pit cc pod and on facebook it's putting it together 
And uh, the main and most exciting and wonderful way that you can uh, help the show is by donating. Um, now, some people are doing this in, in small amounts. Some people are doing it regularly on a one-off basis. There's many ways you can do it, and it doesn't have to break the bank, but it does make a big difference when it's put together. So you just go to the show's main homepage, which is puttingittogethercast.com. You look for the donate button, which is usually yellow in colour and it will take you straight to PayPal and it's all dead easy from there so if you can spare a couple of quid a month it is greatly appreciated so we can grow the show and get it to as many people as possible do consider doing that if you can afford it and remember that if you can't um, or for whatever reason you don't want to do that right now the show is still free for you and you're welcome to listen to it no change is happening there so I hope you're having a a lovely week and I hope that um, the chat with Kirsten has cheered you somewhat And um, I'm wishing you all the best until next week when I bring you a brand new episode. Stay well, keep breathing, and uh, I'll just, you know, usual. Cheerio now. (laughs) 